Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Listen, before we start the show today, a quick note. Thanks to you, the ongoing history of new music podcast has been racing up the podcast charts, and we've been receiving a bunch of email and direct messages from fans of the show that you wanted to hear more episodes. Okay, done. We've heard you. And we're happy to do just that. So we're ramping things up around here. You will now get an additional ongoing History of New Music podcast every week all summer long. So that's two shows for the price of, well, none. So get it. I mean, show is free. Okay, wait. Also, enjoy this week's episode. Here we go. Crime never takes a holiday. Every second, every minute, every hour, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, scum walks the earth, preying on innocent citizens around the world. And in a business as scummy as the music industry, you can bet I've seen my fair share of crooks. This is tonight's story. The crimes perpetrated by evil-doing musicians. Hit the theme! The theme! No, 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 not that one. The theme for this show. Come on, we rehearse this. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hi there, I'm Alan Cross, and welcome to a show about crime. Specifically crimes committed by performers in alt-rock. And I'm not talking about petty misdemeanors, bar fights, minor felonies, drug convictions, overnight stays in the drunk tank. The topic is real crime and hard time. Arrests, convictions, and long-term jail sentences. In some cases, sentences scheduled to last decades. Robbery, murder, child abuse. There's some scary f- coming up here. Are you okay? You okay? You okay, We'll just start right into murder. The case of Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols. This crime was anything but smooth. After the Sex Pistols self-destructed on their one and only American tour, the band scattered. Sid and his toxic American girlfriend, Nancy Spungen, ended up in New York. She'd been a bad, bad influence on the boy. Her nickname was Nauseating Nancy. I know some people in the city, she said. They'll get us fixed up. With about $20,000 to their name, they checked into the Chelsea Hotel on West 23rd Street in Manhattan. They registered under the name Mr. and Mrs. Ritchie, and it was August 23rd, 1978. They got a room on the lower floors of the building. Those were the ones reserved for junkies, whores, degenerates, and assorted lowlifes. But this was supposed to be the start of their new life together. Sid earned a little more money by playing a couple of gigs, but for the most part, Sid and Nancy just stayed in their room and did drugs. Heroin was their favorite, but they also got into methadone, pots, Delauded, and whatever else they could get their hands on. Sid OD'd at least once during those final weeks of Nancy's life. On Wednesday, October 11th, 1978, there was a party in the room. Lots of people were in and out. Sid was conscious for most of it, but then he took 22 in all tablets. That's a powerful sedative. And then he passed out. He came to at around 9 o'clock the following morning, October 12, 1978, and something was very wrong. 
The bed, the sheets, and the floor were covered in congealed and dried blood. Nancy was on the floor of the bathroom under the sink in nothing but blood cake black brawn panties. She had a single knife wound to her abdomen. She had bled to death. The autopsy later determined that with a stab wound like that, it would have taken her at least three hours to bleed out and die. The knife was still there. It was a 007 hunting knife. Sid had bought it with a couple of friends, including Steve Lucky of the Canadian band The Vile Tones at a place on 42nd Street. He wanted one because Steve Bader's of the Dead Boys had one. The cops were called and Sid was arrested and charged with her murder. He admitted that they had some kind of fight, but he doesn't remember stabbing her. Then he said, I stabbed her, but I never meant to kill her. And then he said, I did it because I'm a dirty dog. And then she fell on the knife. And then, no, I didn't kill her. Well, maybe he didn't. He was so high that it's hard to imagine him being capable of being coherent enough to even hold a knife. Other subjects were mentioned, and there were all kinds of rumors. But whatever the truth, the charge against Sid was second-degree murder. He was sent to jail, but bailed out a few days later. And then he got into a fight, slashing a guy's face with a broken beer bottle, and it was back to jail. He stayed there for 55 days before he was bailed out again, but... Before the case could come to trial, Sid died of an overdose. Would he have been convicted and sentenced to decades in jail? Absence of any evidence that might clear him? Yes, probably. This one's proved something else. Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols, jailed on suspicion of murder, but dead himself before he could be convicted. On to armed robbery, December 3rd, 1992. The Charlatans UK had just returned from a successful tour of Japan. Keyboardist Rob Collins decided to decompress by hanging out with a few old friends. He dropped in to see a buddy named Michael Whitehouse, and the two of them went out for a couple of pints. At 9.15 that night, Michael said, Hey mates, let's stop at the liquor store so I can pick up more beer. They found a place, and Rob waited in the car while Whitehouse went inside. After a few minutes, there was a loud bang, and then Michael came tearing out of the store. Drive, drive, he said. Rob had no idea what was going on, so as soon as his buddy closed the door, he gunned it. Turned out that Whitehouse had robbed the liquor store at gunpoint, and that someone took down the license plate of Rob's car. A few hours later, the cops showed up at his place and arrested him. He was held for five days. Eventually, Whitehouse confessed, saying that he robbed the store to impress his big-time rock star friend. He was charged with armed robbery and possession of a firearm. That was a five-year sentence. When Rob's trial finished on September 21, 1993, he was sentenced to four years in prison on a charge of assisting an offender after a crime. He was sent to Redditch Open Prison outside of Manchester, where his new home was a 9 by 9 cell. He was known as Prisoner RD-1533. When he was released for good behavior eight months later, he told the story of another inmate who stared at him in the shower while humming this tune. The Charlatans UK with the only one I know. 
keyboards by Rob Collins, who spent eight months in prison on an armed robbery charge. Next up, another Manchester musician who was sent to the Slammer on an air rage charge. On February 13, 1998, Ian Brown, the then ex-lead singer of the Stone Roses, was aboard British Airways Flight 1611 from Paris to Manchester when something happened between him and a flight attendant. Her name was Christine Cooper. She says that she'd been offering drinks to passengers, and she thought Ian gestured at her. He wasn't. He was just putting something in his pocket. Realizing her mistake, Christine offered an apology with an open-handed wave in Ian's direction. At that point, she alleged that Ian yelled, Hey, you! and warned her not to wave at him like that or he'd, quote, chop her hands off. She apologized again, but says the abuse just kept on coming. When the captain was summoned to see what all the fuss was about, Ian allegedly repeated his threats. And later, so the story goes, he banged on the cockpit door for 20 or 30 seconds as the plane was on its descent into Manchester Airport. Now, this was before 9-11, of course, so can you imagine if somebody did this today? The captain radioed ahead, and when the plane landed, Ian was arrested and charged with air rage. When he went to trial, he insisted that the airline story was wrong, and his remarks were just jokes. He also denied banging on the cockpit door. His defense fell on deaf ears, and his lawyer, who Ian maintains wasn't any good, put up a feeble fight. Ian was sentenced to four months in prison at the notorious Strangeways Prison. 1,100 hardcore prisoners who were locked up 11 hours a day. The food was the worst. He joked that he, quote, turned Muslim to avoid eating the horrible meat pies they served. That way he got halal food, lentils, rice, chicken. And the guards didn't like him much and allegedly tried to get other prisoners to turn on him. Meanwhile, prisoners asked him for his autograph for their friends. And in turn, they gave him cigarettes and newspapers and maybe the odd spliff. Authorities had to keep moving him from wing to wing because he was just so popular with everybody else. He read a lot and did 500 sit-ups and 400 push-ups every day. When he finally got out, he said he was in better shape and more fit than he'd ever been. To this day, though, Ian and his friends and supporters maintained that he was set up as some kind of example and did not deserve to be sent to jail. The Stone Roses featuring singer Ian Brown charged, convicted, and jailed on a charge of air rage. We're going to have to talk about Scott Weiland at some point, so we might as well get it out of the way. He found himself in trouble with alcohol and drugs a number of times starting in 1995, but on September 3rd, 1999, he was nailed hard. The charge was repeated violation of the terms of his probation. He was sentenced to a year in the detox wing of the L.A. County Jail, minus the 35 days he'd already spent in jail in the previous eight months. Could have been much worse, though, because the judge might have sentenced him to Gen Pop. Inmate 615-8735 was assigned a dormitory bunk. He got up at 5.30 in the morning and spent 12 hours a day listening to drug counselors. There were positive relations classes, a weekly relapse prevention class, group discussions, and book studies. There were three hours of free time in the evening. That could be used for TV, playing basketball, writing letters, or reading. No music. This lasted for five months before he was released on good behavior. But it wasn't the end. 
Weiland has been in jail several times since on a variety of charges, usually DUI, but never for as long as the stint he had to do in 1999 and 2000. Driving faster in my The Stone Temple Pilots with repeat convicted felon Scott Weiland. All right, back to robbery. In July 2011, Coheed and Cambria was on tour with Soundgarden when things got weird with their bass player, Michael Todd. He was arrested for trying to rob a Walgreens drugstore in Massachusetts. The story is that on that Sunday afternoon, he walked into the store and showed the pharmacist a note on his BlackBerry. It said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I have a bomb, give me some OxyContin or else. There was no Oxy on site, so he compromised and demanded 30 milligram Percocets plus some OxyContone. Todd walked out of the store, ran across a field behind the building, and jumped into a cab so he could make that night's gig in nearby Mansfield, Massachusetts. But pharmacies have security cameras. Witnesses identified the cab company, and from there it was easy to track down the cab to its destination, Coheed and Cambria's tour bus in the parking lot outside the venue. Before the band could hit the stage that night, Todd was arrested. Todd was immediately kicked out of the band. At his trial, he was sentenced to one year of home confinement, three years probation, and a whole lot of drug treatment. Why the leniency? Because shortly thereafter, Todd was diagnosed with testicular cancer. But then, he admitted to scamming fans of the band by accepting money to sell Coheed and Cambria merchandise that he didn't actually own. Add in the financial problems he's had with his cancer treatments and, uh, well, things aren't good. Coheed and Cambria with We Are Juggernaut, a single from their 2010 album, Year of the Black Rainbow, back when convicted felon, bass player Michael Todd, was still with the group. What other crimes have been committed by musicians? How about trying to hire a hitman to kill your wife? Okay, that's next. Hi, this is Alan Cross. Welcome to the ongoing history of new music podcast, our weekly exploration of the stories and characters that made modern music what it is today. We want to make this podcast one of your favorites. So if you love the show, do me a favor, tell a friend about it. Or rate it on iTunes if that's your thing. We'd really love it if you'd do that. Or you can just drop me an email with your thoughts to alan at alancross.ca. Maybe you want more information on something you hear. Or maybe you have an idea for a topic for a future episode. Whatever. I guarantee your response. alan at alancross.ca. Whether you're listening one at a time or binging on a bunch of podcasts all at once, we're glad to have you here. All right. Let's talk music, shall we? What more crimes perpetrated by alt-rock musicians can we cover on this show? Let's talk about hiring a hitman. And it's more than that. It's the singer of a Christian metalcore band who tried to do the hiring. Tim Lambesis is the singer of As I Lay Dying, a band from San Diego. For years, they've made music with pro-Christian themes and with all the members professing to be very good Christians themselves time and time again. They've never really been explicit about it. There's no direct mentions of God or Jesus or anything like that in their lyrics. But they've made it very clear where they stand spiritually. 
This included Tim, who sometimes appeared on Christian radio shows. They were very successful and very popular, winning a number of medal awards. And Tim seemed to be a really good family man. I mean, he and his wife adopted three children from Ethiopia. But then, a crisis. In the summer of 2012, he began to struggle with the tenets of organized religion. Tim wrote home to his wife, I no longer believe in God. Oh, and uh, I want a divorce. After getting into bodybuilding in a serious way, he started seeing other women, not very Christian, and his wife was understandably upset, making threats about cutting him off from the kids. Then, on May 7, 2013, Lambesis was arrested in Oceanside, California. He was charged with trying to hire a hitman to kill the woman he wanted to divorce. He got into a conversation with a guy at his gym, his steroid dealer, about killing his wife. That guy then went to the cops, who then set up a sting, and then Lambesis met with an undercover detective who asked him for a thousand bucks in cash, along with pictures of his wife, her address, and the alarm codes to her house. As soon as he handed over the envelope in the parking lot of a Barnes & Noble bookstore, he was arrested. After pleading not guilty, Lambesis was sent to jail for a month. His lawyers took the route that too many steroids had messed with Tim's mind and his judgment, and he just wasn't right. But then on February 25, 2014, he changed his plea to guilty. On May 14th, he was sentenced to six years in prison. His ex-wife filed a $2 million civil suit against him. He also has a 10-year restraining order. All the family assets were turned over to his wife, which amounted to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And get this, Tim's parents also agreed that they give up all rights as grandparents to those three adopted kids from Ethiopia. It's pretty harsh. And in case you're wondering, Tim is very clear-headed and very remorseful about the whole thing. He knows it was stupid. But if you dig into the case more, you can see why he feels he was set up. Here's a taste of As I Lay Dying. As I Lay Dying with the Sound of the Truth. Singer Tim Lambesis in jail for six years for trying to hire someone to off his wife. Now we're unfortunately going to get into the really sick stuff. Child abuse. You've probably heard about glam star Gary Glitter and all the charges against him. And sadly, he's not the only one. Let's start with Pete McNeil. At one time, Pete was the drummer for Cake. In 2012, he was charged with child sex abuse after trying to molest a six-year-old girl while working as a volunteer at a school in Los Angeles. That ended in a mistrial. But earlier, in 2009, he was said to have molested a three-year-old girl at a Thanksgiving celebration. I'll spare you the details, but it is really, really sick. When that case finally went to court, there was another mistrial, but at the retrial, he was found guilty. He's now serving a 15-year prison term and will be classified as a sex offender for the rest of his life. Now, I can't play you anything from Cake that features McNeil on drums. He never appeared on any of their studio recordings. But he did play this song with the band live many, many times. She is fast, thorough, and sharp as a tack. She is touring the facility and picking up slack. I want a girl with the short skirt and a 
Cake, a band that once employed sex offender and child abuser Pete McNeil on drums. Do not blame the band for anything he did. They wish they'd never met the guy. One more. And sadly, it also involves child abuse. I really used to like Lost Prophets. They were a band that came out of Wales in the late 90s and broke through internationally with their second album, something called Start Something, in 2004. More albums followed. Lots of tours, including the Warp Tour. Lots of awards. But then it all ended on December 19th of 2012. That's when singer Ian Watkins was arrested and charged with 13 sexual offenses against children. That included the attempted rape of a one-year-old. Oh, and he was also charged with the distribution of images of these offenses, along with, and I quote, extreme animal pornography involving a child. He initially denied all charges, but by the time things went to trial on November 26, 2013, he pleaded guilty to the sexual offenses, but not guilty to the count of rape. If that weren't sick enough... He had two female accomplices, one of whom was the mother of one of these kids. He was called the most dangerous sex offender these officials had ever seen, a committed, organized pedophile. Watkins was sentenced to 29 years in jail. If he makes it out, he faces another six years of supervised release. Good luck, dude. Your kind almost never make it out of prison. His two co-defendants, who could not be identified because the children involved needed to be protected, were sentenced to 14 and 17 years in prison. A third woman, Watkins' ex-girlfriend, also went to trial, but she was cleared on all charges in January of 2015. Now, I feel weird playing a Lost Prophet song here, but we have to remember that the other five guys in the band are totally innocent. They had nothing to do with what their sixth singer was doing. Can you imagine finding out that the guy you shared a van with over all those miles was actually into something that weird and sick? They were absolutely horrified and devastated with this news and knowledge. It is just so sad and so sick with so many lives ruined. So I'll tell you what, we'll play this once and then be done with it. Lost Profits and Burn Burn, which is what we know will happen to sicko singer Ian Watkins. All the crimes we covered on this episode come from the alt-rock world. But if we cast our net to rock and roll in general, we come up with even more horror. Chuck Berry, five years in prison for transporting a 14-year-old girl across state lines for immoral purposes. He was later arrested for videotaping women in a public restroom. Gal, a member of a black metal band called Gorgoroth, got a 14-month jail sentence for torture. He met a dude at a party and held him for six hours, bleeding him out and threatening to sacrifice him to Satan or whatever. You know that Derek and the Dominoes song, Layla? Jim Gordon, the guy playing drums on that track, took a hammer and knife to his mother. She's dead. He's still in prison. Varg Vickerens of the band Burzum stabbed a guy in a rival band called Mayhem 23 times. And yes, he died, and Varg was sent to jail for 21 years. John Notvelt was with a band called Dissection. He murdered a gay man from Algeria and was sent to jail. And when he got out, he committed ritual suicide. Another murder. 
Faust, the drummer for a black metal group called Emperor, was given 14 years for killing a gay man. And let's not forget Phil Spector, serving time for the shooting death of Lana Clarkson. Oh, you know what? And I missed one from our alt-rock list. Pete Doherty, six months for cocaine possession charges. Nuts. Before I go, I want to remind you to check out my website. It's a journal of musical things.com. It's updated every day. And it also comes with a daily newsletter that is absolutely cost free and spam free. You really need to subscribe. We can communicate through email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google Plus. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 